You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin today by calling in the helping spirits. So I call out those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful into our lives, those who carry the lineage and the wealth that is born from the lives of all those who have gone before us. It is on their shoulders that we stand, and I ask for them to be with us here today to help us, the living, do what we have come here to do in our time. I call out to these ancestors to help us to clearly understand our own soul's purpose and to find in our hearts the courage to bring those gifts into the world. And I ask these ancestors to help us to teach, to lead, to stand in our own sovereignty and to take a stand for what we believe is right in the world and to live from a place of that true internal integrity. And I call out to these ancestors finally to help us to envision a new future together in which we all find a way to live well in a way that is good for all living things, human and non-human. And so I call out for these ancestors that have done this in their own time or struggled with it in their own time to come to be with us here today to guide us in our own challenges and our own manifestations of this true and unique journey called life. And so I ask the ancestors to gather around and be with us here today. And with our awareness in our hearts, let us drop our energy down into our bellies and our bellies down through our grounding cord into the very center of the earth and reach out with our gratitude for life, for the profound miracle of life that we each share. We reach down into the earth from this place of gratitude and ask the energy of the earth to rise up and be with us here today and to bring into us the wisdom of manifestation. And so we ask the earth and all of her amazing dreaming that has dreamt many, many, many different ecosystems into a kind of ever-growing, ever-changing and somehow still constant um, harmony in the evolutions of ecosystems across the planet. And may we learn how to be part of this world, Um, not a virus or a disease. So we ask the earth to rise up into us that we might be here in a way that is grounded. We call up the energy of belonging and connectedness, that sense of hearth and home, that sense of place and knowing that we are where we belong and that we are connected into the place that we have chosen to be and that we are here in our home. Doing what people do in their home, which is to tend well and to open up to their neighbors and from their neighbors to open up to what they can do collectively to be here on the earth in a good way. So we call up to the earth and we ask that energy to bring to us that energy of understanding our connections and our interconnections within ourselves and with others, human and non-human. And finally, we call deeply into the earth for that spiritual rejuvenation that comes from a sense of restoration and replenishment, um, rest, uh, 
allowing us to tap into that lake within ourselves of deep yin energies and to allow this rooted energy to be the source of all it is that we do in this day. So we ask the energy of the earth to help us to remember to do the practices and make the choices that tend that lake so that lake has resources to offer us as we go through our day. So with this energy within us, let us draw our energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind and extend the energy out through all the exquisite layers of the sky. Whatever the sky is doing above you, let us greet it, welcome it, and extend out through the cosmos, out to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call this power, if you name it or if you simply are aware of it as the divine, as the oneness, as the all that is, as the great void or the great mystery, by whatever name or idea you know this energy connect with it know it within yourself experience that moment of the mirror to see yourself in your true divinity and call that energy down into yourself into our proceedings here today and into your day calling in the energy of blessing and protection generosity and benevolence calling in these energies that infuse in us the ability to bring devotion and excellence and precision to what we do that we are not distracted by things that are not necessary that we are not um, doing more than we need to do that we are not doing uh, right things by wrong motivations and that we are not coming up short We ask the energies of above to help to guide us in our application, our expression, our doing of what we have come here to do. And so as we draw the energy of the sky down and let the energy of the earth and sky mix within our bodies, in our heads, in our hearts, and in our bellies, let us come into balance for ourselves here today. And into this space of the divine union of above and below the earth and the sky, let the energy of the heart be awakened. And we call out to the energy of the heart to be with us here today, to be the profound crucible that it is, that has this unique ability to hold the fiery passions of the lower chakras that carry our desire and our passion for why we are here. And also to bring in the crystal clarity, coolness of the mind. We draw these energies together in the heart and let them dance in such a way that they can give birth to that third and unique energy that has never been known before on the face of this earth. And that is your soul's purpose. And may you also find in your heart the courage to act on that purpose in this day and to bring it into further manifestation. So with these energies called around us, I give thanks. And I also want to give gratitude for those people that keep this show alive and on the air. Um, the show is free for those of you who haven't found it yet. There is a website, whyshamanismnow.com. And thank you, listeners, recently for your ideas of how to update that site and make things easier. But anyway, on that site is almost four years of free um, archives of the shows. And for this to keep happening and be available for anyone anywhere on the globe who has access to a computer or the ability to download things, um, we need support. And so I want to give thanks to Lisa and Sherwood and Paula and those who have donated in the past week to help keep the show alive and on the air. There are bills to pay. And I give thanks to those of you who are able to donate financially that help um, help us to keep 
pay the rent, as they might say, out there in um, cyberspace. And I give thanks to those of you that are sending in questions and ideas for guests, ideas for shows, um, and those of you that are sharing the many ways that you are helping the shows to grow. Because if the practical application of shamanism remains um, my little podcast, um, it isn't going to change the world. And we each, in our own way of bringing these teachings into the world, to begin to lawyer differently, to begin to cook differently, to begin to teach our children differently, to begin to be firemen differently and women differently, to begin to do all of the things that need to be done differently, to do it from a shamanic perspective, we would be able together collectively to bring the world into harmony with what really gives us peace in our hearts. So, I know that's a bit of a grand vision, but I can't help it. I just got back from a week-long workshop with the very beginning um, of the cycle teachings, my first new group for this year, and I'm inspired. So there you go. There's a big vision for you all here today. So thank you, those of you that helped to make that vision a reality. And um, for those of you that don't know, go to whyshamanismnow.com. We haven't put a way to donate onto my personal website, Last Mass Center. Not a bad idea, though. Thank you for suggesting it. Anyway, go to whyshamanismnow.com right now and click on the support button and donate any amount, large or small. And we are grateful for all of it. Even those little $5 donations go a long way. And we thank you all. So we are live this week. um, And I want to give thanks to my last two guests for helping me out when I wasn't live. But anyway. We are live this week, and you're invited to call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site if you're listening live, or you can email me at any time at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So today, the topic today um, is diagnosis or finding the heart of the matter, and While I think um, allopathic medicine or the AMA style medicine in the Western world um, is excellent in its testing um, of things chemically and and its imaging and all of these ways it can diagnose in the physical body, the source of the problem is rarely in the physical body. (laughs) That the physical body is almost always being forced to respond to a source of a problem that is external to it, energetically. And um, so one of the values or the complementary values that shamanism brings back to us, since of course it is the origins of our healthcare in on the planet, but what it brings back to us is that capacity to diagnose beyond the physical, to diagnose into the energetic realms of the emotional body, of the mental body, which is gigantic um, in that it covers many different arenas. There are archetypal um, dynamics in the mind. There are um, psychological dynamics in the mind. There are belief systems in the mind, our image of the world, our sense of how we got here, our picture of how things work. This is all in the mind. Um, It's a big realm there. And we don't actually do a terribly good job diagnosing what's really going on in the mind. Um, or why things are going on in the mind Um, and also into the spirit world and to understanding what is going on in the place of our soul and in that domain where the soul is um, in 
connection with other um, energies that don't have form either. So um, this is what shamanism brings us for people that are capable of diagnosing accurately. And that is the trickiness. It's the same thing of whether you've got someone who can, you know, read your mammogram excellently or not. The, the, the capacity to diagnose accurately is at the essence or the heart of assisting the body in its healing. Because the body will heal if we can just figure out how to get out of its way. And that is the importance of diagnosing accurately. Is so we can figure out how to get out of the way. And for humans, many... Many of the, the, the true sources of our issues, which are manifesting out here physically in our lives, in our bodies, in our mental health or mental unwellness, um, in our emotional health and our emotional unwellness, many of these things that are manifesting outside in that sense, in the physical world, actually began as some sort of trial or tribulation in the heart. Thus, the name of the show, Getting to the Heart of the Matter. And so I wanted to put today's show into some context because shamanism is always happening in context. And when we lose a sense of context, um, we often lose the ability to understand things accurately. It's probably not really the word I'm looking for, but it's the only one that I found. So what I mean by this is that for Westerners, um, in, in the majority, well, at least in America, I can really only speak for America. I know that in the 60s and 70s, as shamanism began to be, core shamanism began to be available, and you had the writings of Michael Harner, Carlos Castanetas, and um, Lynn Andrews. And these became, these, especially Carlos and Lynn, their books became extremely popular. For those that are sort of more serious, Michael's books became extremely popular. And they became popular in a time when everything was changing culturally, but in particular, people were leaving religion, uh, organized religion, because they didn't feel that it was answering the questions their life was um, inspiring them to ask. And I can't speak to whether this was a legitimate frustration or not, because I was too. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, that's what was going on culturally. And so there was a great um, resistance and kickback to dogma, to fundamental thinking in terms of governments, to governments dragging us into war, which they're still doing anyway, um, but to religions and the dogma of the religions that basically said, you know, you're fundamentally wrong, you're always going to be, no matter how well you do this, you're always going to screw up. And, and that, that sort of sense of religion versus looking at the other side of religion, which is very inspiring. But nonetheless, this is where people were. And they were tired of the rules and the black and white nature uh, that, that really had evolved in, um, in America post-World War II. And they wanted to have an understanding of the world that allowed them to navigate 
in these uh, felt spaces in their heart and in their mind because people were also doing hallucinogens. So their mind was taken into places they didn't really know existed and um, in their spirit that there was a real understanding, a deep intuitive knowing that there are other realms and that we are able to access them and that I know given enough freedom, human beings reinvent how to enter altered state. Coming back to this because it's our birthright. It's our divine birthright to be one with the one. So anyway, my point is people were waking up out of a time of strict black and white thinking, of a lot of dogma and fundamentalist thinking, and the hearts wanted to be free. Now, for all of the the problems inherent in what happened at that time, my point is that was the context. And it was kind of a messy time. But but offerings, if you wanted to offer something to people like basic journeying from the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, if you wanted to offer workshops, you really had to offer them in a, from a really groovy perspective. Like, uh, take what works for you, man, and leave the rest. I mean, it was very much, you had to be absolutely soft, pedal, everything. I mean, to come out as people are now, um, really shooting from the hip and saying, you know, shamanism is hard and it hurts and it requires ego death and you're going to get the crap kicked out of you by the spirit world repeatedly for the rest of your life. That would have never gone over well. And so there is a, there is a time of exploration. It was a time, frankly, of innocence or naivete, depending on your perspective and who you're talking about. But it was a real sense of a time of opening. And so the idea that we could connect with spirit shamanically was so exciting that anybody could learn to journey and could connect with their helping spirits and start to, similarly with beginning to interpret our dreams as something meaningful to us, that these were all very exciting um, opening ideas. And there was an innocence in that time and a naivete. Um, And so out of that kind time comes this idea that any helping spirit you run into has your best interests at heart and as long as you're in the upper world or the lower world that is true most of the time the issue for most people is they aren't in the upper world or the lower world they're in the middle world and that they are so um, attached because of the way we live as contemporary people, what our expectations are, that they're not actually getting into the upper world or the lower world. They're just wandering around the middle world, and the middle world is messy. So my point is, though, the pendulum swung, and shamanism began to be offered, or I should say accessible to us, in a time when you couldn't get anyone to come if you laid down the law. You had to be open. You had to be groovy. You had to let people take what they wanted and leave the rest, which meant people often took the fun parts. They took the highs. I mean, we are a culture of addicts who want the climax. We want the orgasm. We want the altered state. We want the feel-good part. And very few of us want or are willing to commit to what it takes to put those experiences into context and interpret them accurately. So anyway, my point, context. So 
there we had it. We had the opening of the 60s and 70s. And now in, the, in 2000, by, by 2000, the pendulum really swung, I think, in a sense, in a reactionary sense. I'd like to say that it was a healthy response, but I actually don't feel that it has been. Because I feel that it's really swung to this place where people are offering sort of their version of shamanism, which does give people access to a deeper understanding of the middle world. People, now you start, don't hear people saying helping spirits anymore. You hear them talking about the compassionate spirits to make a distinction between those that are helping spirits and those that are um, opportunistic spirits. Um, But people are starting to use these words without an actual understanding of the world from a shamanic perspective. We're still looking at the world from a Western perspective. And this is my, my problem with this pendulum swing. Um, I appreciate the waking up of the time of innocence and naivete and getting a grip on the fact that there's an enormous mess here in the middle world and a lot of it would like to seize, seize you as an energy buffet and I, so I appreciate the consciousness around that and the awareness that that's bringing, for example, the people that are really suffering in a state of mental unwellness. Granted, the problem that I see in this and, and thus the context of what I want to talk about today is people are approaching shamanism from an allopathic perspective. In other words, they're starting to say, if A, B, and C are happening, then this is the problem. So it's very much diagnosing the way we diagnose an allopathic medicine based on symptoms. And the symptoms, shamanically speaking, the symptoms are rarely the problem. Now, granted, I talk about this with my partner all the time. People come into him for acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And they come in and they say, my ow hurts. You know, and they want you to fix the ow. They don't really want you to tell them, well, by the way, your ow hurts because A, B, and C are happening, and it's just a symptom of these three deeper issues, and we need to treat these deeper issues if you really want your ow to go away. People don't want to know that. Generally speaking, people just want their ow to go away. And so I get it. I get the push from the client base to fix their owies. But it so undermines and neuters the power of shamanism because the power of shamanism, just like aspects of Western medicine in terms of the power of their diagnosis, um, is that diagnosis past the symptoms, past people's stories, past their psychological diagnoses, past all of that into what's really going on. And what's happening right now in shamanism is that People are saying, if you're experiencing this system, then this is your problem. As if these things are like, I don't know, diseases. It's, it's very disturbing because what that means is we're not communicating with spirit. We're not reaching into the spirit world to find out what is really going on and what is the best way to fix it. So this is my sense, though, is that, that this show today then is in this context, trying to begin to lay out the first few steps, perhaps, on a middle road that we could take between the groovy openness of the early 60s and 70s and the, and the kind of reawakening, the dawn of the reawakening of neo-shamanism in America. And today, where we have far too many, in my opinion, far too many quote-unquote shamanic practitioners 
who are treating shamanism as another modality that fits into the Western mind and the Western format, and um, which means basically answers to symptomology. And so what's happening, for example, is people used to call, call me for a session and say, I'm having, um, no matter what I do, I keep coming back to feeling guilty and a need to take care of my mother. And um, she's aging, she's, um, I, I, she's beyond my capacity to help her, and yet my life is being ruined by feeling like I still need to take care of her in some way. That used to be what people would say. And we'd say, well, let's go find out what's going on. And it could have been anything. It could have been ancestral, unresolved ancestral issues. It could be um, inappropriate energetic connections, otherwise known as courting with the mother that had never been resolved. It could be that the woman, unbeknownst to herself, was still using her mother's grounding cord as she had as a child and had never developed her own. It could be soul loss. It could be that her mother was truly mentally ill and was a complete energy vampire. I mean, there were so many options of what could be. And now what I get is people calling saying, do you do card cutting ceremonies? Like they already think they know what the answer to the problem is based on the symptoms. And more and more and more, I'm, I'm seeing this, this sense of things growing. It's like this... Um, Lame acceptance of shamanism as another modality that I can get my hands on to fix my symptoms, to make my owie go away. And what's missing in that is understanding the true power in shamanism. And so to be fair, let me take one step back and say, and this is the problem with people seeking help across the board in healthcare is most people want their owie to go away. They don't want the journey that will allow their body to rise to a higher state of health and well-being. So this is the place we as a culture need to shift around our own health and well-being, I think, in my humble opinion. So with that said, the show today. Okay, so let's review. That's our context, so let's review. All right, so... A shaman is a particular type of healer who is brought into this healing work by spirit and often brought into this work reluctantly. Uh, Shamans often learn techniques developed over time by the shamans before them. No need to reinvent the wheel if it worked. However, shamans are not made by human teachers. Shamans are made by the spirits and they work Uh, by the spirits that they work with, and in particular, their initiatory helping spirit. So shamans work in multiple realms and are able to do so because they work in trance or an altered state, um, or more accurately, a range of trance states, which are all manifestations of a working relationship with the helping spirits. And so not only are shamanic practitioners able then to connect with the different find the source of things outside of the physical world, but they're also able to find the source of problems outside of time. It's a future issue or a past issue, most often a past issue, or outside of space. So they're not limited to what is going on right here, right now. Okay. So what this means then, to translate this into its essence, is what this means is shamans don't know anything but how to go ask. That they are masters of the art 
of accurate communication with spirit, which always involves interpretation. And so the biggest issue then for a person working in trance states, particularly shamans, is the tool that is interpreting, which is the person, just their psychology, their emotional health, and their physical health. And so the constant cultivation of a higher state, a more refined essential state of health and well-being mentally, emotionally, and physically of the shaman is critical or their ability to accurately diagnose becomes distorted by their own issues, their own unseen issues. So shamans don't know anything, in other words. They are masters in the art of going to ask questions. And one of the things about asking good questions is not making assumptions based on the symptoms presented or the words spoken by the patient or the client. In other words, a shaman, no matter what they listen to from the client, they know nothing until they go ask spirit. So while a shaman listens, they don't have any assumptions or expectations until they go ask for a diagnosis of what is actually the issue. Um, So for this, the shaman is not in the story, not in the story the client is in or has brought into the healing space, but is in the real energies, is, is tapping in through spirit to the real energies underneath everything, those that are not apparent to us. And specifically... The shaman is connecting into the real energies that are beneath or or not tied into the client, his or her soul's purpose. Um, so these are the things that the shaman is looking at, the energy body of the client, not the diagnoses or the owls or the symptoms, but the client as an energy being themselves, his or her soul's purpose or their unique reason for being in this life. And the interface of the energy body of the client with the larger world. So the energies that that client's meant to be connected to, like the oneness, divinity, helping spirits, etc., and energies they might be connected to that are not healthful for them. Okay, so diagnosis in shamanism is very different then than diagnosis in a typical American culture. I mean, technically, if you look it up, diagnosis means the identification of the nature of an illness or other problem by examination of the symptoms. So by that definition, shamans don't diagnose, but they do identify the true nature of the problem. So they do half of it, so of this definition of diagnosis. So they identify the true nature of the problem, but they do not do so by examining the symptoms. Now, before I go any further, let me state that there are some shamans culturally who are also expected to be medicine people. In other words, to work with plant medicines. So in those cultures, the the shaman is expected to do both roles. And in that case, when the shaman shifts into medicine person role, they might well actually to not try to make the symptoms necessarily go away, not just to fix the owie, but to understand from the symptoms the right plant medicines to offer in the person. 
which may actually aggravate the symptoms before making them better. So, so keep in mind that in some cultures, shamans are not just shamans, but are also medicine people. Okay. So with that said, so a shaman then in shamanic healing session um, asks what is going on at the source or the root of the problem in this person's life. And sometimes the symptoms themselves are actually a sign of healing. For example, Someone came in uh, for a session and they had the symptomology that had been diagnosed as, um, oh, no, I can't even think, chronic fatigue. No, 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 uh, fibromyalgia. They've been diagnosed as fibromyalgia. And, of course, that's one of those things they can't really test very well. Anyway, so she had that diagnosis. When I asked Spirit what was going on, what was going on is that she was asking for help through her spiritual practices, but not giving her helping spirits an avenue through which to actually help her. So she was yet asking, but in a certain way, not open in an effective way. It's not that she wasn't open. It's just she wasn't open in an effective way that allowed the helping spirit energy to get to her and assist her. So she was creating kind of a state of energetic paralysis and that the more she did her spirit work, the more extreme the symptomology became. And so what she needed to do, there actually wasn't anything for me to do that day other than teach her to journey, to connect with her helping spirits, and to begin to work with them. And her entire symptomology went away within months because the body still had to detox from the situation that it was held in. But the total root cause of her problem was her relationship with spirit that there wasn't an effective avenue for the dynamic energy to move back and forth. Um, And that she was pushing that um, dynamic from one side and creating greater paralysis through that. Now, that is not to say that that's what's behind fibromyalgia. It's what was behind her fibromyalgia. So that's my point that I'm trying to make about shamanic diagnosis. So, Okay, so sometimes, and what I was saying is sometimes the symptoms themselves are actually the sign of the healing. So sometimes the presenting issue the client brings in has nothing to do with what the person actually needs in terms of healing. And I find this is true a lot of the time, that where people are focused in their life has absolutely nothing to do with the healing that they need. Um, we We are so distracted and off in our own internal interpretation. Um, in fact, people constantly come in thinking something is a curse when what they really need is to change their own thinking about something and that they are and that maybe they need a soul retrieval from a time in their childhood life when they actually were victimized so that they can stop victimizing themselves with their own thinking that they're then projecting out and looking as if it's a curse coming in. And I say that without judgment about this is the kind of convoluted energetic dynamics that we get into because we're raised in a culture in America that does not explain anything to us accurately around energy and for the most part around our own soul. So where were we? 
So continuing on now then with our little get everyone on the same page review. So after diagnosing the true issue, the true source of what is the issue, shaman style, the shaman asks for a remedy for that particular diagnosis, which may have nothing to do with other remedies um, for that same diagnosis. So so I, I guess I could say I've had as many responses to how to help someone shift out of a state of fibromyalgia as I have people coming and asking for it. That, that people are, inor- well, people are A, completely unique in their soul's purpose. And therefore what bothers them, what disturbs them in life is largely relative to their soul's purpose. So how they process and receive things in the world has everything to do with them. And so people's issues are, are unique in a certain way. And yet there are certain, certain actions we take energy in shamanism to deal with that. Anyway, moving right along. So, so there are other um, issues today that to throw into the mix here. So there are terms we now share like chakras or karma and they may be used to communicate greater detail about the energies involved. But the shaman is still talking about original energies. For example, this weekend a client received soul parts that had to do with karmic challenges inherent in real life challenges. So this was a very different perspective. It wasn't the fact that she was incested. That was the issue of the soul loss. It was about the heartbreak that this um, dear soul she had agreed to incarnate with broke the soul vow that they had made for this life that was actually what her soul loss was about now some of you might think well all you need is your soul part back and then you can just move on what does it matter why the soul part left it matters why the soul part left in the reintegration of that part back into our life and allowing the energy of the soul part to shift us every single soul part that comes back should change the primary operating person completely. Sometimes subtle, but pervasive. Because soul energy affects and touches everything. So any soul part coming back affects and touches everything. So my point then for the client about the heart that to making making the point then for the client that the heartbreak wasn't about the incest in this life but about the soul-to-soul betrayal around their karma, that changed her understanding of this dynamic because, frankly, she'd hit a wall dealing again and again and again with the heartbreak of her incest. It wasn't getting her anywhere, and yet she still couldn't get past the heartbreak in such a way that she could form the quality of relationships her heart was longing for. So by changing her understanding about who that part was and what she needed then to integrate, it completely changed her capacity to resolve this real fundamental heartbreak from her childhood and move on in her life. And so the whys of these things are, are, are terribly important. And so getting soul retrievals from people that can only give us a vague understanding of who our soul parts are, you know, may or may not be beneficial if we're not able to tune in more deeply to the part once they're back, which the majority of people can't without help. 
we can't bring in the greater level of detail that's going to allow the integration to occur that is needed for contemporary people. Because contemporary people have lived in a chronic state of soul loss. They have adapted to their soul loss. Therefore, they need to unadapt. That's not the case in traditional soul loss where the soul loss would be recognized and the treva would happen within weeks, maybe a month at the most. So anyway, so we have this diagnosis from spirit and we have then the remedy from spirit and then we have the movement of the energy in the invisible world in a way that affects the change defined by the remedy. For example, if the remedy is the soul retrieval, the soul part is brought back to the person. So the energy is moved from where it was stuck back where it belongs. Um, And then we have, again, from the point of spirit, what does the person need to do to follow up and manifest the new pattern of well-being? Um, One of the most interesting things, for me at least, in my work with people, is what people need to do to follow up. And they always need to do something to follow up. So what makes this all possible, especially for a contemporary person to approach a problem without answers but with questions, is initiation. So we really can't just stay contemporary people with our separation, our separate from God-based psychology, learn shamanic skills, and actually presume then to practice shamanic healing from our old way of thinking. We can presume to be contemporary shamanic practitioners, work in circle together, share our growth, learning with peers, share our process equally. We can participate in journey circles and ceremony and rituals together as equals. We can work diligently with our helping spirits. We can do all of these things together as equals. But without initiation, we can't call ourselves shamans. Because our ability to... interpret accurately is not in place until we are post-initiation. And so what that means basically is your own challenges around interpreting are yours to struggle with. They're part of your path. And so your ability to journey for yourself is fine. And to share with peers where everybody is needing to sense whether other people's interpretations are accurate or not. No one's given the benefit of the doubt because they're the shaman. The shaman needs to be someone who has taken the tuning of the tool to heart and has made that the focus of their own personal practice so that they are able to interpret accurately. So we are not shamans until spirit calls and initiates us. And in that initiation, we come to understand our oneness with all things, that there is no separation, and we drop all of our personal history that says anything otherwise. Or we don't make it through the initiation. In other words, to do this work, we can't just input new software. And then actually, we actually have to transform our consciousness. We actually have to change the operating system. And I've said this before, so I'm not going to go too far into it. But just in case you don't believe me, let me quote Sandra Ingerman from her March Transmutation News. Sandra writes, As we continue to work with these teachings, she's speaking specifically about medicine for the earth, we get to a place of realizing that our personal stories and the collective stories we feed into are just stories created by the ego. For on a spiritual level, there is no story where there are people to feel sorry for, to heal, to blame, etc. The only spiritual story that exists is that we are one with universal love and light. So, 
We aren't initiated until we live from this place, free of our personal history, free of the debts we believe we are owed or that we owe, and that this is the place a true shaman comes from, this place post-initiation. Um, and this, to, to, to allow people as adults, as spiritual adults, to come to this place of understanding their oneness with all things. As Sandy, Sandy said, our only spiritual story that exists is that we are one with universal love and light. This is the entire focus of year three in the training, in the four-year training that I offer. It is so critical for our ability to function as spiritual adults. So this idea that we can continue to function from contemporary Judeo-Christian, Muslim, every other religious beliefs that are based in a separation from God and actually practice shamanism is one of the first assumptions that we make that disempowers our practices. The next assumption that we make that disempowers our practices is that doing what is right for me is always the right thing. Doing what is right for humans will be the right thing. Doing what feels good will be the right thing. This is a faulty assumption and it disempowers our practice. In other words, the ethics of true shamanism asks always what is right for all living things because it is based on an understanding that oneness requires the service of life, all life, not a human bias about how things should be. So, People often say, well, in argument, you know, well, the shamans used to manipulate the weather. They used to do this. They used to do that for the humans. Well, in traditional shamanism, there's a lot of mixing between shamanism and sorcery. A lot of understanding about what, what something's going to cost and deciding whether or not it's worth paying the price. And so that's another thing that people really need to come to terms with is that shamanism and sorcery have developed side by side, that they are distinctly different things. And in cultures where they grew together, people understand the difference. And so a lot of that argument about self-serving, quote unquote, shamanism is really not talking about shamanism, but talking about sorcery. And it's not that it was harmful. It's just that it was human-centered to the exclusion of other living things. Okay, so do not fool yourself about your spiritual ideas about how things should be any better. You know, our ideas about this, especially our fixation on being light workers and it, and it all needs to be light, light, light. You know, that idea about our spiritual idea about how it should be isn't necessarily any different than fracking or banking which is just an idea, another idea about how it should be for humans. And banking is another idea about how it should be for certain humans. The point is that we are one with all things and we must act like it. And even our shamanic practices, no matter how people come into our practice going, ow, fix my owie, we need to remember that our actions, even the actions where there's an exchange from the client, are actions for the good of all living things. And ideally, the client's place in the all living things will be restored or will help to restore that through our shamanic healing actions with them. But this is what I mean about the matters of the heart, that a person's lack of wellness comes from their disconnection from their soul's purpose and from their heart. 
and that it is our task to restore them to connection with their heart and their soul's purpose and in that to their connection of all living things. And initially, that may not fix their owie. And, but if we're truly practicing shamanism, we need to go there and risk losing clients to do so. So let me share an example. I was at a conference recently, um, and it was a conference on the on. Um, we we were given permission, but we were doing a, a shamanic conference on First Peoples land um, up in Canada, and we were there specifically with the task of working with the ancestors, those that um, had lived well and died well, and those who had not. And the conference was overtly about working with the dead. And it was about working out in nature and about working a very large process for, for everyone who came to the conference about ancestralizing or, or the ability to transform the ancestors that are stuck here um, into a place of connection with the source so that they could come back to us as ancestral helping spirits. So this was the whole point of the conference. So there was one practitioner there who was a participant at the conference and also a presenter who was very distressed that there were spirits wandering around the land. Now, okay, A, spirits wandering in the land, around the land because it's the land of first people and there's spirits wandering around the land by nature. Um, and she absolutely insisted that we must immediately do a spirit canoe and move all the spirits off the land. Now, there were spirits there because we'd called them in to work with them. There were spirits there because they were there to help us in what we were set out to do. And there were spirits there because they lived there because they're on first people land and that's their dynamic with their people. Um, so, again, absolutely adamant. We must all change the entire path of the conference right now and do a spirit canoe. No diagnosis. No asking for remedy. Just personal opinion. No concern for the first people on whose lands we were on in which we were a guest. Or, frankly, no concern for the first people who gave us the spirit canoe ritual in the first place. I mean, that ritual was taken from indigenous people without permission, right? And so, so no concern for the first people and their rights and their privileges, no diagnosis, no remedy, nothing. She was outraged that we didn't immediately agree with her opinion and change the whole course of the conference, which we had worked intensively with spirit for months to create in a good way that would be safe and get the task done. Um, and it just wasn't what she thought needed to be done. Never was there a moment in her reality that she needed to ask first. Of course it wasn't needed. Uh, we didn't need to move every disembodied energy that crosses our path. And if we do need to move them, we don't need to do them with rituals we've stolen from other cultures to do it. That just because we are uncomfortable doesn't mean the situation isn't precisely as it should be. If we are truly shamans, we can diagnose, we can find the remedy, and that remedy may be to craft new rituals with spirit, just like the first people did to craft their rituals. And for those of you that want to explore this piece of how do we work with the land and these bigger issues, I actually think the Society of Shamanic Practitioners book, Shamanism Without Borders, explores very sensitively the ethics of diving in and working on a situation that's not, you know, your own self and your own home. Um, okay. 
So the big damage I think that we do that really disempowers our shamanic lives is to make the assumption that shamanism fits into this allopathic approach. Um, as more and more teachers are offering their versions of what they've been taught without alerting their students to what is true about shamanism in general and what is their version of shamanic practice and what is simply their opinion. People are getting a sense of this symptom X means disease Y kind of interpretation of shamanism. Um, people hear through their own cultural context and we can't help that. So people hear from this allopathic perspective of symptoms and disease. Um, so the idea then is that I was fine and then I caught this disease and now I need a cure so that I can go back to being fine. And that doesn't fit in the idea of um, in a shamanic perspective about healing. It's not even how it really works in allopathic medicine either. We aren't fine. We are the sum total of our beliefs at any moment. We don't catch something. Those things are always present in our body and nothing cures us. Our body holds the knowledge of the healing innate in its own makeup. We simply free the body to heal when we get the right diagnosis and the right remedy to open that pathway. And you don't go back to how you were before. You only go forward to a higher state of health. Okay, you can intentionally choose to go back, granted, right? But that's a different show. That's not what I'm talking about right now. So what is happening with everyone's different versions of the same things is that we get names and we get corresponding remedies and we are starting to skip the step of asking spirit for the actual problem and then the remedy. Um. So back to Sandy, in her June transmutation new newsletter, Sandy writes, to truly create positive healing for others and the planet and ourselves, we must stop focusing on symptoms. We must look through the eyes of spirit to see the movement of energy and any blocks that might be noticed in the web of life. She continues, shamans and, he and spiritual healers look through the eyes of spirit into a client's body and read the field of energy. Shamans heal what is out of balance in a spiritual level, and the illness might manifest on an emotional or physical level, but the shaman is looking behind the manifestation of symptoms. A shaman looks at the energy system of a client and restores harmony on a spiritual level. Once harmony is restored on the invisible, uh, once harmony is restored on the in invisible energetic system, the client's body and emotions can be healed. She continues, I think part of the collective trance keeps us only looking at chasing symptoms. We are looking at the wrong level to really create lasting healing. So it's important if you are receiving shamanic healing or offering it to see the full spectrum of energies involved and not chop it up into chunks of unrelated diagnoses. So in shamanism, there's a full spectrum of energies that need to be restored to a person that begin from not terribly complex to very highly organized and highly complex. So it begins from divination information um, to helping spirits that need to come back to reconnect with them to their own energies that might need to come back um, to their own soul part energies that might need to come back be a one way to think about that spectrum of energy and energies that need to be removed would begin with um, the least highly organized, which would be 
energies that need simply to be cleansed. They're diffuse or dispersed through the energy system. We may not even be able to name them. So they become more complex until we can name them. They sometimes become more complex until we can actually isolate them and locate them in a particular place. At this point, we're often, not always, but often able to name them because they're starting to manifest symptoms with diseases attached to them, disease names attached to them. And it goes on into higher and more complex energies, energies that we um, pick up from the environment into the dead, be they our own ancestors that are influencing us or random dead that are not necessarily connected to us, all the way to energies that would choose to invade or ride or possess us because we look suspiciously like food, energy food. So there's ranges and we don't and and if we don't understand the movement of energy in these ranges and can't ask the helping spirits you know what is going on and how do i set a remedy and we start to chop these up into this symptom means that we will truly lose the art of shamanism and the art ultimately of creating ritual and ceremony for healing So there are many spectrums to look at, the spectrums of people and their engagement in their archetypal processes of growth and maturation. There's a spectrum of the unresolved energy of their own ancestors. There's a spectrum of the individual's relationship with the culture, why they have chosen to be here now and what they they are doing relative to the culture they were born in. And um, these spectrums then come together and create an energy web or matrix that we live in. And it doesn't do anyone any good to begin chopping arcs of life up into this short-sighted symptom-based diagnosis or this pat remedy for that problem. In fact, if you're a practitioner who works in this way, you need to seriously consider whether or not you are truly called to this work. Anyone can learn to do shamanic healing forms. Anyone. It takes a shaman Uh, to work with spirit, to actually use them well. Keep that in mind as you're looking for a good shaman for your own healing. So, so what? So now what? What am I trying to say? So this is my challenge. Whether you are a shamanic practitioner, um, a shamanic healer, or entirely new to this idea, here are, here's a four-part practice to enhance your ability to accurately diagnose the system in yourself and with others in the environment. So the first part is trust. Trust your answers from spirit, even if it initially doesn't make sense. So that is the challenge. Trust your helping spirits. Those of you who have had um, long-distance sessions with me can hear me doing this as you listen to your recordings. I explain, I'm looking at blah, 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 blah about what I'm experiencing in the journey. And then I usually say, and I have no idea what that means. That I simply trust that, that it is the place to begin, even though it makes no sense, but it's my job then as the practitioner to work with questions to and spirit to unfold the sense inherent in what's seen in the journey. So part two, truth. Truth-telling is critical in this work. Let's face it, people, America's, Americans are completely full of it. We rationalize, we blame, we make countless excuses. You must have the courage to tell the truth and the clear seeing to actually see the truth in the first place. There is no point in doing shamanic work if you are not at the heart of the matter. And there is no heart 
where there is no truth. My challenge to you is that you stop lying to yourself and begin to speak truth to yourself. So number three is risk the little death. Surrender is required if you actually work with spirit. My challenge um, is that you risk letting something go. Make a sacrifice. Kill some part of yourself off that no longer serves you. Your challenge is to begin to let go of a part of yourself that holds on to your status quo. Let spirit guide you as to what you need to let go of, how you can effectively do that, and how to open yourself to what could be. And finally, the last part of my challenge is discernment. The final challenge is to bring true discernment into your day. With trust in spirit and the courage to tell yourself the truth, you can change your life daily. If you add to that the willingness to risk death or change, to truly let go, then you are able finally to actually learn to discern. And when you can discern between the voices inside of yourself, it is finally possible that you are able to feel into the heart of the matter. So thank you everyone for listening this week. I give thanks to the ancestors around us, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you everyone. Have a great week.